All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the inaugural episode of The Volley Chief, coming to you from the command post. My name is David Leonard, and uh, we're going to dive into this. So I'm going to start this as a weekly podcast. We're going to be focusing on issues in volunteer fire department, volunteer firefighting, go over our strategies, tactics, pre-plans, and even some of the non-fun stuff like policy, procedure, the human resources junk that screws us all up. And uh, very excited about this. So I hope you're going to give me a listen. We're going to bang out a couple of episodes first where we're going to kind of just introduce myself, give you the lay of the land. I'm uh, not looking to schedule any guests for the first, I don't know, maybe three episodes. But after that, when I start bringing in some guests, we'll talk, compare, see different ways of doing things in the volunteer setting. So as I said, my name is David Leonard. I'm uh, formerly the chief of the Derby Fire Department and the Storm Ambulance Corps in the metropolis of Derby, Connecticut. It's the smallest city in the state of Connecticut. And I'm hoping to bring you roughly about a 20-minute to half-hour episode every day to discuss current and situations in volunteer firefighting. And all, all these, like every podcast, will relive some of the glory days, talk about some of the events that, that shaped our careers and our futures, and kind of look forward. I'm going to spend this episode, episode one, talking about myself, which obviously I'm good at, hence the reason why I'm doing a podcast, and just introduce myself, tell you where I'm coming from, my background, and how I got into this, if you will. So as I uh, previously mentioned, I was the formerly the chief of the Derby Connecticut Volunteer Fire Department. So I began my fire service career way, way back in the mid-90s. I, uh, my family actually started serving well over 100 years ago. My great-grandfather, Edward Cotter Sr., joined the Storm Engine Company in Derby. So we're in the same volunteer firehouse for well over a, a century now. He actually served as fire chief in Derby right about 100 years ago. So ironically speaking, uh, I always say I was not the first fire chief in my family to have to deal with the pandemic. My great-grandfather took that uh, title from me. So uh, from my grandfather, my or excuse me, my great-grandfather, my grandfather inherited the, the gene. He joined the fire service in 1939, became fire chief shortly after uh, World War II. In our area, he's a, a well-known local figure in the fire service. He uh, formed our regional fire school. He was on the committee that would form the Connecticut Fire Academy. He served on numerous firefighting committees during the 50s and 60s and a well-known uh, personality in our area. So that would be Ed Cotter Jr., again, chief of the Storm Engine Company, the same firehouse that his grandfather was chief of on Olivia Street in Derby. From there, my um, my kind of branches. So my father, who was a great softball player in high school, and basically a baseball player in high school, was recruited by the local volunteer fire department to play softball. And he met my mother, and obviously, you know, sparks flew, they fell in love. And he enjoyed the volunteer firefighting traditions and life. Even though he was brought in as a ringer for the softball team, he quickly studied and became a, a firefighter EMT and started on his path. He would go on to be chief of the ambulance corps in my town. And we're going to cover that in a little bit because there's like a unique situation between the fire department and the ambulance corps here in Derby. And then from there, you had my brother and I. Uh, along the way, uncles, cousins, random family members joined here and there. You know, my grandfather's brother was captain. 
a couple uncles belonged, cousins belonged, all company captains at the, the storms. So long family tradition of firefighting. Uh, one of my prized family heirlooms is I actually have an article from Fire and Water Engineering from 1925 talking about my great-grandfather and what he's doing as a small-town fire chief. So, you know, pretty interesting, pretty cool read. It was actually written by the deputy chief of the Bridgeport Fire Department at the time, which would, you know, fill another ironic checkbox as uh, I would go on to become a Bridgeport firefighter. So a lot of family history there. Uh, mine, obviously, like I said, my brother's a little bit older than me, so he was allowed to join our fire department, what you now call a junior program. So here in Derby in the 90s, we still had some of the legacy left over from the Cold War and still had a civil defense department within the city, the precursor to today's emergency management. And the civil defense agency actually had auxiliary firemen, and they were firefighters that could be called upon, you know, in addition to the regular firefighters during an emergency. And the fun part about the civil service program was, or the uh, civil defense program, you only had to be 15 years old. So at 15, we were allowed to, to join the civil defense firefighter program. You took a basic 40-hour firefighter training course, and then you were allowed to be firefighters. So to the, you know, well-regulated safety NFPA OSHA, you know, crew, in 1994, we were firefighters under this, you know, asterisk for, through civil defense. Uh, I was allowed to kind of hang around a little bit earlier because my brother was just a little bit more than a year older than me. So when he joined, I kind of started hanging around. And then it got to, well, you're here. You might as well just come with us and let it a little bit early. I, uh, I you know, Hung around the fringes of a couple of fires in late 94, but it wasn't until 95 that I was allowed to actually start going in. It would actually start on New Year's Day in 95. That was the first time I kind of went in with the initial crews and, and started fighting fire. And it was, a you know, like everybody thought it was great, right? It was our first time. These were back in the three-quarter boot, long coat days still here in Derby. We didn't switch over to bunker gear until actually the late 90s. Uh, again, you know, small town volunteer fire department. You you look at it nowadays, and you're like, "Wow, you guys didn't have bunker gear back then," but it it wasn't uh, it wasn't a thing. So we were still wearing the old Scott two A's and two twos, hanging around with the the MT five hundred, if I believe, portable radios that had just like the thumb switch with the two channels, and uh, survivor lights were new. Most of us still wore like the old Garrity flashlights. You'd go down to the local hardware store. And they'd be like at the cash register. You'd buy a couple of those with a, with a tire, put it on your helmet, and that was your light. And uh, it's, you know, still the same job, a lot of the same fun, but just a little bit different technology, if you will. So I began my officership. It would have been 2003 when, I, in, you know, we were elected lieutenants. So at that point, uh, you know, what I honestly looking back at my age, I was extremely young to take on such a role but i always say one of the things that separated the storms from other firehouses is we had a solid core of senior members who were into training and uh, again started with my grandfather who founded our fire school he was a shipboard firefighting instructor during the war so that brought him out of the war and into the the forefront of fire training in our area and that tradition continued so the next generation that came in in the 70s they were highly highly 
orientated on training and on, on, on putting us ahead of them. So even though we were officers, a lot of us kids, early, mid-20s, our senior core of the, the 45, you know, 50-year-old guys, which hurts now because that's right, that's where we are. So as I say it and you think, God, remember those old guys at 45? Well, that's where we are. But they they kept their eye on us and they they were there. They gave us a hand. They always helped out. So we never had that fear or that worry of if we were doing things right, because you always had a great group of guys and you, and you had multi-generational guys, right? You could still go back to the World War II guys at that point. And then you had the guy that the group in the 70s. So you, you had a lot of people to always bounce things off and, and, and run things under. You know, I, I'm going to bring a lot of them on as guests because most of them still volunteer and they, they they have tremendous amount of experience. You know, the, the Valley area in here in Derby saw a lot of fire, still does for volunteer towns. We'll talk about that in a future episode of, of what Derby is and how small it is, but how dense it is. And they, they kept us under their wing. They fulfilled that traditional senior man role in the fire service. And because of that, my generation, most of us actually went on to getting on the job. There's a, a good group of us, probably, you know, well over 20 of us that went on to become firefighters. There's one cop. We can make fun of him later. But uh, most of us went on to become career firefighters, which I think is a testament to the work that those guys did by training us and preparing us for the fire service, that our assimilation into the career service was extremely easy. So two years as lieutenant, and then finally a year as captain of the company. Company captains got some big duties, uh, the Memorial Day Parade, you know, organizing the company, uh, the, the annual fireman's ball. In addition to your important duties, like obviously training, uh, maintains maintaining all the apparatus the equipment so the storms the firehouse had two engines the my entire tenure they they've been a, a pierce arrows basically when i first joined we had the old 71 han that left in like 95 and since then we've had uh, a couple pierce pierce an 89 pierce arrow and 95 pierce arrow and then a uh 2015 pierce arrow so a lot of pierces it's a community firehouse, you know, it's, it's tucked into the neighborhood, been a staple there since the 1950s, but I would be captain of the storm engine company, like my brother, my father, uh, you know, great uncle. Amazingly, my grandfather was never a company captain. He, uh, because of his Navy experience, his wartime experience, when he came back, he skipped the lieutenants and, and captain's rank and went right to the assistant chief. So he was an honorary captain, but never actually captain. From uh, 2005, when I was captain, the next year I veered. So as I mentioned earlier, we got this really odd, unique situation in Derby that we're going to talk about in the next episode of the Ambulance Corps. So I became the assistant chief of the Ambulance Corps, and I was there for several years as the third assistant chief. My primary focus was EMS, obviously. It's the Ambulance Corps, right? Uh, and I would remain that way for a few years, and I would take over, I think, 2012. 11, I would take over as the chief of the ambulance corps and I would remain there for a couple of years. I really enjoyed being chief of the ambulance corps because of the dynamic of the organization and the fact that you're kind of a city agency, but you're technically not. So you had a lot more freedom to run the organization as you want. My biggest regret with being the chief there was I was way too young to understand the responsibility of the position. 
And I, I feel like I didn't do enough to think long term. My my biggest regret was constantly thinking short term. I think I was thinking a couple of months ahead of the organization and I should have been thinking years ahead. So uh, that was an approach when in 2015, I left being the chief of the Storm Ambulance Corps to become chief of the Derby Fire Department, the assistant chief of the Derby Fire Department. And uh, I served as assistant chief from 2015 to 20, mid-2020 and then mid-2020 to 2023, I was fire chief. So very, a uh, lot of fun, a lot of you know unique stories, a lot of different things coming in and out of the, the fire service at the time then. But um, obviously the big elephant in the room was definitely the COVID pandemic and how we responded to it. So I feel that I, I got robbed a little bit of being fire chief just because of COVID. You know, we with like everybody with, with lockdowns, we kind of went more virtual, did more online stuff, but uh, still it was a, an absolute pleasure doing it. I worked with a great set of chiefs, great set of officers. I had three great fire commissioners serving over me, which obviously always helps when you have a great command staff and great team to work with. I would say I learned a ton of incredible lessons dealing with officers, uh, dealing with members, you know, the public, uh, dealing with the city. You know, one of the things as fire chief, you're, you're the assistant chiefs, you're preparing your budgets, your, your capital expenditures. So it's a lot of experience. I, uh, when I went and took my fire officer two class, I was actually with a couple of battalion chiefs from one of the largest cities in the state. And we were having a conversation about, you know, how in their view, like a small town fire chief, they, they were blown away at the level of involvement you have to have and how it, it trumps the experiences that they have just being a line battalion chief because you don't deal with a lot of the administrative side. So now I'm sitting in that high and mighty role of past fire chief. Uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun because... You really have no expectations anymore after building up, right? I was an officer between the fire department and the ambulance for 20 years from when I became a lieutenant till I finished my term as chief. So a uh, lot of time to, to kind of reflect and to, to work on things. So now I'm just back to being a fireman, and it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, the first fire I went to where I had no responsibilities whatsoever, I can remember walking by the command post to get my assignment and just smiling at the chief because this is... It was, you know, kind of funny that here a month earlier, it was, it was, you know, me in charge and now Mike was in charge. So just a lot of fun, but that's my volunteer side. I, I obviously, as I mentioned earlier, I have a career side to my uh, fire service career and it, it makes it a unique experience. So I am a firefighter in the smallest city in my state and the largest city. So I get that, you know, kind of feel for both ends of the spectrum. So I was hired in 2007 by the Bridgeport, Connecticut Fire Department. It's, uh, again, the largest city in the state of Connecticut. We've got about 300 members. It's divided up into two battalions with five engines and two trucks in each battalion and then a heavy rescue unit and a uh, safety officer on duty at all times. So that was a lot of fun. My assignments there, I started out uh, on Ladder 6 for a brief, brief time period. And then I went to Wood Avenue Station, which was Engine 3, Engine 4, they're uh, very busy, busiest engine in the city for multiple years. So, again, a lot of uh, busy daily career engine stuff, right? Medical after medical, car fire after car fire, lockout after lockout. Uh, so a, just a lot of experience to be gained. And then from there I went back. Uh, I took a little bit of a detour and spent the last few years of my firefighting time on the city's heavy rescue company. So... Like most cities, the heavy rescue, you know, you either love it or you hate it. 
if you're on a ladder company, you got no problems throwing us shots. And then when you need us, you're screaming in the hallway, get me the rescuer. It's just the typical dynamics of the fire service. We all enjoy it. We have a good time with it. Uh, you know, everyone says, all oh, the guys on the rescue think they're better than everybody. And that's not true. We, we, we know it. You know, it's, uh, and it's, but it's part of the role, right? The rescue company, it should be your, your go-to crew. You get a lot of alpha personalities. So I was able to spend some time there. I had a phenomenal, phenomenal crew. Uh, some of my, my best friends are there, still there on the rescue. And then I uh, went ahead and got promoted. So I took the lieutenant's exam. I was lucky enough to get promoted in uh, 2019. So I was assigned to the safety officer position. Uh, my teaching skills and other skills I'd acquired at this point in my career allowed me to move into a safety officer. So you're by yourself. I used to joke, you know, role of a safety officer in the Bridgeport Fire Department is to ensure crew integrity and prevent people from freelancing by freelancing and making sure that you have no crew integrity. So it was a unique role. You were you were solo, you're in an SUV, you responded on all box alarms, highway incidents, uh, burn calls, hazmat calls, certain medical calls. But I stayed there for a few years, and then this summer uh, I decided to go back to a company, so I, I went back to Rescue 5. So currently I'm lieutenant assigned to the city's, uh, city's heavy rescue company on B-Shift, which is a great time. I have a great crew. So we'll talk about those guys. I'll probably bring them on one time just to, you know, throw some uh, paid guy jargon in, but it, it was a good time. Uh, and that's pretty much my career. You know, family-wise, obviously I'm married. I have two great children, two girls. I'm a girl dad. A uh, couple of dogs. I have, uh, you know, you got to have a couple of dogs, right? It's American dream. One of my uh, skills growing up was that I, I attended some training in Georgia in the early 2000s, and they had search and rescue canines, so I got into that. So I was a canine handler for a while. Um, formal education, I'm, I'm, I'm one class away, right? We're all one class away from getting my bachelor's degree in public safety administration from Charter Oak State College here in Connecticut. Uh, I currently, I actually obviously have the associate's degree and then uh, going for the bachelor's degree. If you go like down the, the certification tree, uh, I have from the state of Connecticut, I'm a fire officer too. Uh, you know, I have a bunch of ones, you know, like random ones here and there, but rescue, rescue core, uh, I'm a certified fire marshal in my state here in Connecticut. I did a little bit of uh, fire marshaling, dabbled a little bit back in the day. Obviously I'm an EMT. Uh, I was an EMTI, an advanced EMT. Nowadays they call them when the state of Connecticut had a little bit more of those, but now that's kind of, there's few and far between. EMS instructor, fire service instructor. So I, I do a lot of teaching. And then obviously I run uh, the social media page, the vol volley chief, that's volley underscore chief. And there, talk about volunteer command. I present several volunteer topics. Uh, I just recently presented at the EMS Pro Expo, which is in the Foxwoods Casino every uh, October. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal conference. Uh, very well attended. A lot of different programs and training. So I highly recommend that conference to everybody if you have the opportunity. Uh, other specialty areas, I'm on the regional hazmat team as a hazmat tech. Uh, Back in 2005, we began working with our police department and active shooter training. So I kind of chuckle a little bit because you see, like, they, they, they talk about, you know, active shooter wasn't a thing until, like, the 2010 range. We were, we had, you know, EMS personnel in, integrated with our police tactical team and going out on incidents in the, the 2005-06 time frame. Uh, so that carried over into Bridgeport. 
I was part of the crew that worked with the police department to work on our active shooter policy and equipment purchases. They sent a group of us along with uh, the cops to go through the actual active shooter training the trainer. So that's another thing I'm kind of into, if you will. Uh, who else? It's tough talking about yourself this long. And I know a lot of people are laughing because they're probably like, yeah, he can talk about himself. Um, I scuba dive. I obviously took that for the same reason most firemen in the Northeast do. So when you go down south or you go to the Bahamas, you can scuba dive and let the city pay for it. Oh, so that's a lot of fun. And uh, I this isn't my first foray into podcasting. I co-host podcast about Disney called Two Dudes Talking Disney. I also dabble in Star Wars and Marvel with that kind of stuff. So I guess you'd say I'm a bit of a nerd. So again, uh, this is the Volley Chief Command Post. Uh, we're going to... Uh, start this weekly podcast. Obviously, I'm always interested in topics, conversations, anything anybody wants to have. Something a little bit more unique than the way that most podcasts do. I want you on the show. And what I mean by that is I wholeheartedly want people to to be on this show. So if you're interested in being on the show, if you've you know always thought, like I have an idea, thought, I want to talk about, shoot me an email. My email is thevolleychief, one word, it's volley, V-O-L-L-E-Y, chief, at gmail.com, and just put in the header, you know, podcast. And if uh, I see it, you know, we'll record a session. Again, I like that 20-minute to a half-hour time frame. This way you don't get bored listening, but on the flip side, you've got some knowledge and some uh, some information, a little bit of entertainment. So suggest topics, uh, shoot me an email. Don't forget to follow me on social media. As I said, my email is thevolleychief at gmail.com. And for my Instagram and Facebook, I'm volley underscore chief. So check us out. Give us a like, right? Subscribe to my podcast. Next uh, episode is going to be coming up. It's going to talk about the metropolis of Derby. I'll explain to you the dynamics and the, the history here of the city and the fire department. And uh, we'll see how it goes. So I thank you very much for your time. We'll see you next week. This is David Leonard, the volley chief, coming to you from the command post.